Well, today we're continuing our uh, sermon series that we started a couple weeks ago called Own Your Influence. And uh, as I mentioned the last couple of weeks, not only is this our sermon series leading up until our birthday, which is the first Sunday of February, this is also our theme for all of 2019. And so each week uh, we're going to be just talking a little bit more about that and what that looks like for the future of our church. So again, we're just so glad to have you here today. A guest, thanks again. Uh, for showing up and being here. And if there's anything we can do, please let us know. Uh, we're just here to serve you. And uh, as we're looking at this series and as we're challenging, you know, not only our own hearts and minds, but we're also looking at it as part how it relates to our church and what is it that God is challenging our church to do. And so if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, let me just catch you up real quick, all right? So week one, this is what we looked at. We, uh, we determined that everything we are and that everything we have comes from God. Amen, right? We come from God, we're sustained by God, we will return to God. And so we handed everything over to him, even though it's already his, we handed everything over to him as just a sign of recognizing uh, that to be true in the scriptures. Now last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about how God puts us in different seasons of life. And so we tried to get you to look at, okay, what season of life are you in? Where has God strategically placed you and your family and your community, your place of work, whatever that may be? And uh, how has he entrusted that to you and how can you start leveraging it today? So what we're going to do is have you turn to your neighbor and answer that while I change microphones. How's that sound? <laughs> so go ahead and do that. Online, go ahead and turn to the person next to you on your couch and go ahead while I do this, okay? So you guys all know your, your season of influence, right? We're all owning our influence. Today we're going to look at resilient influence. I mean, who doesn't want resilient influence, right? If you're out there, you want resilient influence, amen? Right? <laughs> And again, this isn't like, you know, Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or Oprah kind of, uh, you know, TED Talks or anything like that. This is us going to the Word of God where we believe all truth comes from and asking God what it is in His Word that would convict our hearts and help us to be the people that He's called us to be. But I want you to think about that, having resilient influence. How is it that you live your life with resilient influence through all of the seasons that God allows us to go through? I think so often it's by the people that we actually imitate or emulate. Think about it. If you see somebody else and they seem to have a really good marriage, you want to emulate what they do in their marriage. Or if you see other parents and they seem to do a really good job of raising their kids, well, what is it that you can learn from them? What, is it, what are the practices that they have in their home? Because it appears, to, it appears that they just seem to have everything lined up in their homes. Or maybe it's you know, people that are really good at you know, eating healthy and going to the gym and, and the fitness thing. And so you're like, man, they seem to have that all together. What is it that I can do to begin to move in that direction? And that's often what we do is we want to emulate other people as we begin to figure out what that looks like for us. So they sometimes directly and sometimes even indirectly have an influence on us. Well, also today we're going to be going through, we're going to continue going through the, the first uh, book that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, or the first book that we have in the Bible, 1 Corinthians. It was actually the second book that he wrote. We don't actually have the copy of the first one. Uh, but it's called 1 Corinthians. And so we've been going through 1 Corinthians, and we've been seeing how God used Paul to influence the most unlikely people on the planet. These people from this church at a time in, in, in an age when the, everything around them was against them. They were just a small minority in the community. They weren't educated. They weren't affluent. They didn't have, you know... Uh, you know, ro royalty or nobility in their bloodline, and yet God called Paul to go to this place called Corinth to preach the gospel, and then people literally came to faith, and he starts this church, and now it's been four years since he's been there, and he gets this report that things aren't going well. There's some divisions in the church. There's some church members that are fighting, and so he writes this letter, the 1 Corinthian uh, letter, in response to what he's been given as a report. 
And so I kind of want to show you where we've been so far in 1 Corinthians. You might remember uh, we've gone through uh, pretty much the first three chapters where he's addressing the divisions, and he reminds them of who they are in Christ, that they've been chosen by God. And so he starts with, by reminding them that they are children of God. Uh, in chapter 2, he reminds them that the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. And so the Holy Spirit is what influences us, which then gives us the ability to influence others. Chapter 3, which we looked at last week, he goes back to talking about more divisions. And you might remember we talked about laying the foundation and about how the foundation's been laid by others. And now we get to build upon that. Uh, chapter 4, which we didn't get to, he just makes the case for why God has called apostles to the church, why God calls church leaders and pastors to the church. They're there to be a blessing. And so he reminds them, even though I was the one that planted the church, I put Apollos in place and I put Timothy, this young pastor in place named Timothy, to watch over the church to continue to do what God has called it to do. Now I want you to see what he addresses in the next four chapters in 1 Corinthians. These are the topics uh, in, in your Bible if you look at the headers. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about lawsuits among believers because apparently the believers were suing each other. Uh, there's a section in there on marriage because there's some confusion about who you can marry. Uh, some questions about unmarried people and kind of boundaries that they should have in their lives as children of God, and then also how you treat widows. And then in 8, he specifically talks about food offered to idols, so there's some confusion on that. Here's the thing, we're not going to get to these really easy topics today, right? These are really easy topics to go over. So here's your homework assignment. You do it at home so you can go through the whole uh, 1 Corinthians book with us, uh, and I'll trust that you do that and know that God will speak to you. We're going to jump all the way to chapter 9 today, and we're going to look and see what God would speak to us in chapter 9. So I, I encourage you to grab one of the chair Bibles that are right in front of you. If you're in the front row, they're underneath the seat. Uh, we're going to turn to page 956. If you have your own Bible, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to see what God has in store for us this morning. If you have a sermon outline, you can follow it on the sermon outline, or it'll be on the screens as well. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul now is going to address issues that are actually related to him. People were actually questioning his apostleship, and they're questioning him, and they're actually questioning whether he should actually be compensated uh, because he's a church worker, but yet he hasn't been there in four years. And so he's basically uh, doing in Paul-like fashion. He asks rhetorical questions. We looked at this uh, the first week. And so you'll see this in chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Right? You might remember that from Acts chapter 9. Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, right? If other people are going to deny that I'm an apostle, at least I am to you. Right? He's reminding them, hey, I'm the one that came and planted this church. I'm the one that preached the gospel. I watched you come to faith. I'm the one that brought you together. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And in the next few verses, he goes on to kind of address some of the other things that he's kind of being attacked for. But what I want us to do this morning is jump to verse 19. This is what it says in 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become, this might sound familiar to some of you, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And what's so remarkable about this, and maybe some of you have heard this before, you've heard this passage before, and just the need for the church to spread the message of Jesus is that Paul is trying to get them to understand that as this church has come together, that they're not now a country club. That now, after all of these years, that even though there's trouble and there's turmoil and there's divisions, and yes, he's going to address the things that need to be addressed in the church, and I love how Paul is, is not afraid to talk about these things. He's not afraid to talk about money. He's not afraid to talk about marriage. He's not, talk, he's not afraid to call out sin for what it is. But yet he's also reminding them that they are in that community, that God brought them to Corinth, that they would influence those that don't yet know Christ. But yet somehow the culture had been influencing the church. And so even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of their division, he reminds them of the call of God on their life. You see, every time I read this passage of Scripture, I'm always reminded about my college days when I worked at the Marriott Hotel. And if you were here at Easter, you might remember the story I told about how I was a doorman, and it was a really cool job, and I got to meet a lot of famous people, and my job was to go and to get people's bags out of their cars and to put them on a bell cart and to push them inside to the front desk. And, uh, you know, in Minnesota in the winter, that's a tough job when it's zero degrees, sometimes negative five, negative 10, negative 20 degrees. Wouldn't you agree? Eight hours of standing outside freezing until finally I wised up and said, maybe I should go be a bellman. Bellman's kind of a sweet gig because you're the one that gets the luggage from the doorman and you get to go and walk with the people to their room. And they're very specific on who they let be Bellman. Bellman have to be very personable people because they want you to be able to connect with the guests. In fact, Marriott spent a lot of money on training their employees. And so I was able to go through training. And part of the training was, was, was learning how to basically work with the people who are in front of you. And so you were required to kind of figure out, okay, there's people that are going to come in town because they're coming in for a football game. So you need to, look, you need to look, know something about football. Or they're coming in town for a basketball game. Or they're coming in town for a convention. Or they're coming in town for a bowling tournament. Or we had all sorts of different groups that would come in town because we were a convention hotel. And so I learned this art, literally, from Mary. I learned how to converse with different people. And, 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 the, and the goal was basically to make them feel as comfortable as humanly possible as you bring their bags to the room, as you're riding up in the elevator, as you put their bags in the room, and then as you leave. And why was I doing that? What was my motivation? How did you know? <laughs> None of you said it was for the sake of the gospel. I, 8.30 didn't either. It's amazing. Right, tips. Those of you who are in sales, you're going, yes, all right? This is what you learn. This is how you do stuff. Literally, honestly, think about it like that in, in the form of evangelism. As Paul is explaining to the church, as he's pouring out his heart to the church, like, think about it. I became a Jew. I, did, I, I probably did some Jewish customs that I didn't have to do. It wasn't wrong to do, but I didn't have to do them anymore because I wasn't under the law anymore because I'm a follower of Jesus. But I did them in order to befriend Jews. There was things that I did to, to influence the Greeks. You can even read about it in Acts. Some of the things that Paul did where he would bring them close and he would use their language and he would use the things that were going on at the time to draw people into himself to build relationship with them that the Holy Spirit would use that to bring them to faith. I became weak to the weak. I, you know, it's amazing all of the progression that Paul went through and how he constantly was always willing to give himself. He always humbled himself for another person. And why is that? 
And how does that equate in your life? Who is it that God has put in your life? And let's start with the most difficult people, right? Start with the, the relative that you just wonder, are they ever going to come to faith? Man, you know, they've been with you for decades, and maybe it's been 50, even 60 years, and you're like, man, they just refuse to acknowledge that there's a God, and it seems like we're never able to nudge them even just a little bit closer to Christ. Why is that? Or think of that coworker. Maybe you have an annoying coworker, and no matter what, you give them a Christmas card, you even give them a birthday present, you try to say positive things to the person, but no matter what you do, it seems like no matter how hard you try, nothing seems to bring them closer into relationship with you or even turning them closer to Christ. What about a neighbor? Did you get in a fight with a neighbor and now you ignore the neighbor and you don't even talk to the neighbor and things are so tense in you know, your neighborhood that the other neighbors are involved and they know what the situation is? What is it for you? Who is God strategically placed in your life? And, and think about it this way. Who keeps showing up over and over and over again? And you might think it's an irritant, but yet it's God that has called you because the presence of God dwells in you to be the presence of Jesus to that person because there's nobody else in that person's life that can be the presence of Jesus. They're not around or exposed to anybody else other than you. Who is it that God has called you to serve? And then I want you to think about it as it relates to our church. And again, this is our theme as we move forward. And one of the things that we're going to be doing throughout this year is together we're going to be rewriting our mission and our vision and kind of our core values. And what does that look like for the future of our church? In fact, the October sermon series is going to be called Forward. And so over the next few months, all of you are going to have the opportunity to influence the next direction of Shepherd's Gate. Where is it that God is taking us in the future? But first, we're going to celebrate our birthday like we did last year. We're going to look at where we came from, and then we're going to begin to build on that for the future. One of the things that's been on my heart since the new year, one of the things that's just been really weighing on me is students that I was able to lead when I was the youth director here at Shepherd's Gate. And so many, many students over several years that I had the privilege of being the youth director. But one of the things that just, it, it's really difficult for me is that several of them, now some of them are great, they come to church, they come with their families, but vast majority of them are not regular attenders of Shepherd's Gate. Some of them, I mean, it's crazy. They're like all adults now. They drive, they have jobs. Some of them even got married. We never thought they would get married. God, you know, they got spouses. Some of them even have kids. And I've had the opportunity to go to so many of their weddings, even baptize their kids. And it, it kills me that they're not more faithful to Shepherd's Gate. And so God has laid out in my heart, I'm going to start meeting with several of them individually, and then I'm going to try to figure out a way to get them all together in a group and say, what is it that our church can do for you? How is it that we can get you more plugged in? I want you to help me and influence this. And I know the parents in this church know what I'm talking about. Those of you that entrusted your teenagers when they went through the youth program, it kills you as well. Like, why is it? What's the disconnect? And we need them to help us understand that and how we can serve them. And again, become all things to all people. What is it that this next generation of young parents and people need as they go through the stages of life. What is it, again, for you in your life? What is it that God has called each and every one of us to do? And you might be wondering, okay, so here we have this guy, Paul, right? He's willing to put it all on the line. I mean, just, just the missionary journeys that he went through, the places that God sent him, 
I mean, Acts is one of the most exciting books you can read in the Bible, and it details a lot of his adventures, from him getting beat to a bloody pulp to where they thought that they killed him, and he got brought back to life, and he still went and evangelized, to being shipwrecked where he thought he was going to die out at sea, and he got saved miraculously, and he continued to preach the gospel. Why was he so adamant about reaching people who were far from Christ or didn't know Christ? Who knows? Think about it. Why was he so adamant? Why was this just something that he was so insistent that he influenced the churches that he writes these letters to? Even as he's answering their questions and dealing with their dysfunctions and dealing with their divisions, reminding them that their influence ultimately is so that all those that don't know Christ would come to know Christ. And do you know why? Because Paul was the least likely convert on the planet. Paul's name was actually Saul in the beginning of the book of Acts. And Paul, or Saul, was a devout Jew, and he was actually going around persecuting Christians. Think about this. He would go into the homes of Christians, and he would tear parents away from their little kids, and he would throw them in jail. He made it really difficult on people. He began to seize their property, and they used to do all sorts of crazy things back then until God got a hold of his life in Acts chapter 9 and literally knocked him off his horse, and God spoke to him. And he was radically saved and transformed. So much so that after he was radically changed and transformed, people still didn't believe it. They're like, there's no way. There's no hope for Paul. There's no way that Paul would ever turn to Christ. Yet God takes the most unlikely character on the planet, converts his heart and his mind, calls him to faith, and then has him write all these incredible books, visit all of these incredible places, plant churches all over the area, and becomes one of the most influential people that we know of in Christendom. It's absolutely incredible. That's why he's able to write things like this. That's why he has such a heart for the lost. He's willing to lay it all on the line for people that don't know Christ. And it convicted me this week, and I hope it convicts you this morning. Man, what are we willing to lay on the line for those that don't yet know Christ? What are we willing to lay on the line for those that have walked away from the church? Maybe they haven't walked away from their faith, but they've walked away from their church, and we know that they're out there. Are we actually pursuing them? and praying for them, and asking them, hey, you know, I'm here for you, and I love you, and I want you to know, whatever it is that you need, you can count on me. I just want you to know I love you, and I am never, ever going to stop pursuing you and telling you about what God can do in your life. What does that look like for us? How do we own that influence that God has given us? See, sometimes people read this passage of Scripture, and they'll say, you know, that's nice, but that's actually for, you know, the apostles, you know, because they're, they're even, you know, higher than the pastor, right? There, there's this whole separate category of apostles. And so, you know, that's what apostles do. Or they say, oh, that's, this verse is for missionaries. This is for the people that go to foreign countries and they go all over and they do different things. And so you have missionaries that go and so they have to learn cultures and customs. So it makes sense that they would have to do different things in order to fit into that custom or culture. But truly, honestly, this scripture is for all of us. God calls all of us to be witnesses for him to be used right in the areas that he's placed us, with the people that are in our lives, the people that we think are the most difficult, and even the people that maybe we are working on. And God you know, is starting to reveal more and more and begins to work in their hearts and their lives. Because I want you to see what Paul does next. I want you to see how Paul you know, just emphasizes this again in just the very next chapter. If you just flip the page, chapter 10, and I want you to look at chapter 10. I want you to look at verse 27. It says this. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, 
eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the, go- on the ground of conscience. Isn't that kind of cool? He's expecting the people in the church to be having meals with unbelievers. The only way that you're ever going to get invited to an unbeliever's house is if you're in relationship with them. He had this expectation on the church that he had planned. And I want you to see what it says next. But if someone says to you, this has been offered to sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of your conscience. And so basically they were in a time and a place when there was a lot of idol worship and there was big you know, buildings where people would go in and they would worship false gods and part of that was you know, food was mixed into that. And so he's saying, look, I want you to do everything you can to be with lost people, but if it crosses the line, if it goes into the sin category, then it's okay to not cross that line. Do you know one of the sayings that's been part of this church from the very beginning is that Shepherd's Gate has always been a church that is willing to do whatever it takes to reach lost people. In fact, it's anything short of sin, right? Anything short of sin. And what does that look like? Here's a prime example of what that looks like because they were crossing over into a first commandment issue. But yet he's called us to be salt and light. He's called us to this community. He's placed, you know, this church in this industrial area that's blowing up and booming. Like people want to buy our church now. It's crazy because they want the properties. They can put buildings here because they're about to blow up more stuff on 23 Mile, right? This is becoming such an epicenter for industry. It's absolutely amazing how we've been strategically placed here. What is it for our future, Shepherd's Gate? And I want us to figure this out together over the next few months. What is it that God has called us to do? How has he strategically placed us in this community? And are we owning the influence? Or are we just here for those that are already here and we can say, well, you know, in some regards we're considered a large church and so our worship services are full. So, I mean, what does that look like? I know many of you have asked, maybe that's about adding an alternate service and maybe, you know, this year let's begin that discussion and let's look at the facts and let's do the data, let's do the research and maybe that's what God would call us to do, that we could reach more people in our community. Let's go on this journey together and find out what is God has called us to do. But again, it goes back to each one of us doing our part. Each one of us as individuals owning the call of God on our lives, that he's called us to faith. Thanks be to God. And that maybe, just maybe, he would use us as we build relationships, as we make connections with those around us, that we could say we do it all for the sake of the gospel that we may share this incredible blessing of eternal life with those who don't yet know Christ. So here's my challenge for you this morning. Challenges in life are going to change. Circumstances are going to change in your life. Demographics and things are all going to change, and the way things were 10 years ago are not going to be the way they are 10 years from now. And we need to come together. We need to get everybody to the table. We need to figure out what is it that God is calling us to do because our calling has not changed. The Great Commission, the last time I checked, has not changed. Acts 1.8, last time I checked, has not changed that God has called us to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And I'm so proud of the men that are going to be going down to Belize. So proud of them to go and to rub shoulders with these guys, to be salt and light, to be the hands of Jesus in that community. And that it's not an either or, it's a both and that we get to do it here locally, throughout our country, and then throughout the world. What is it that God has placed on our hearts? So this morning, that's what I want you to think about. It. Who, if you could narrow it down to one person, who's the one person that you could begin to pray for? Who's the one person that God has placed in your life 
that you would begin to cover in prayer and you begin to ask God how you can speak into their life. I want to close with this in verse 31. This is what it says. It says this, whether you eat or drink, think about this, or whatever you do, listen to just the pastoral heart that, that Paul has, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense, right? Can we stop offending people? Can we stop getting into debates about politics and other things? Can we really watch what we post on social media? Can we just love the lost because they're lost and they don't respond the way that we do? Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or even people in the church. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, I do not seek my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And if you're wondering if Paul is wanting us to actually emulate him, look at what it says, chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He answers the question for us. Yes, we are to imitate Paul. We are to look at Paul and his heart for the lost and his heart to reach people that are far from Christ, that they would know Christ. And I know that God's going to continue to put that on our heart individually and as a church. And I'm so excited to be on this adventure with all of you together. Amen. This morning, we also have the opportunity to receive Holy Communion. And if you're new to Shepherd's Gate, this is something that we do frequently here, twice a month, as a matter of fact. And it's something we take so seriously because we believe Christ is actually with us in communion, in and with the bread and the wine. In fact, if you're new, there's going to be a communion statement on the screen. You can read through that. And if you have any questions, just let us know. But part of what we do as we prepare our hearts, as we come clean before God, we allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind those things that have kept us from Him And so part of this is our confession to God. And so I would just invite you now, church, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. And Heavenly Father, we come before you. We're so humbled and grateful for your many blessings in our lives. God, I thank you that you did bring us all here safely this morning, that we could once again open your word and that we could learn from the man that you anointed to write these words for us today. And God, now as we turn to you, we turn our hearts to you, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring to mind the things that we need to confess, the things that we need to admit that we've crossed the line, that we haven't done according to your will. And so God, now we confess our sins to you.